Well, good morning, Resurrection Presbyterian Church and anyone else who may be joining us online. I'm Jared Bryant, the pastor of Resurrection. And over the past few weeks, we've been sitting at Jesus' feet together. We've been listening to him guide us on how we can be a people who bring hope and healing to a world that's deeply broken and looking for answers. And as Jesus guides us into what kind of people we are to be, one thing I don't want us to miss is what kind of person Jesus himself is and what the heartbeat of his life is when when God himself comes down to us in a way like never before, taking on our humanity, becoming like us in every way, immersing himself in all of our sadness, all of our pain, all of our sin and all of our darkness. The, the question is, why does, why does he do it? And what message does he bring to us? And what we see and what we hear again and again is he has come out of love and has bringing a message of good news to us. And as we've been walking through these Beatitudes together, these statements about who is blessed, about who gets to experience this fullness of life that Jesus offers what we've been seeing is it's not who we would expect. It's not the powerful. It's not the influential. It's not the successful, the secure, or the content. But Jesus says it's the poor in spirit. It's those who mourn. It's the meek or the lowly. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's those who are merciful. Jesus, he keeps turning the values of our world upside down, saying to us that the life you so desperately long for and were in fact made for, it may not be found where you are looking right now. And maybe what the world needs most during these desperate times is not what you are offering. Jesus is trying to say there is a better way. And today we hear him say these words, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And there are certain words in life that excite us much more than others. So for most of us, words like security, pleasure, comfort, money, peace, vacation, promotion, affirmation, respect, happiness, friendship, those are words that can easily get us excited or that can move us. They tap into something that we are looking for and and they excite us with the possibility that our desires can be met in a significant way. And today we run into a word that is meant to stir us and that word is purity. But when we think about purity, it can often have the opposite effect. It can feel like dumping a bucket of cold water on a hot fire. We, we tend to think of purity as the constant killing of our desires, of God saying to us, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't want that. You need to stop it. But when, we, when Jesus talks about purity, he is talking about it in a way that is like pouring gasoline on a fire. He is not about crushing our desires. He is about expanding them, redirecting them away from things that take life and moving them towards the one who is life itself. 
And so in our brief time this morning, I want to consider these two parts of Jesus' message when he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Because what we see here is, is both a promise of life and a pathway on how to get there. So the promise that Jesus is is giving these ragtag group of, of poor sinners and sufferers on the side of this hill in Israel is that, that you, in, in all of your need, in all of your messiness, in all of your sin, in all of your brokenness, you can see God. The, the story of the Bible, it begins with humanity being able to see God or to be in a close relationship with him that experiences the fullness of his pleasure, of his joy, of his security. It's life as it was meant to be, and it's life that we were made for, that we were created and designed for. But there comes a point in which humanity is deceived into thinking that maybe God is holding back on us. Maybe he's not as good as we think. Maybe we should look for life somewhere else, somewhere that God has said himself, don't go looking for it there. And this one decision creates for humanity a devastating domino effect that continues to wreak havoc in our lives today. Because what happened was that the human heart became divided. What was pure before suddenly found something else mixed in. New desires, new fears, new frustrations. Humanity was not created for these, we, and we don't thrive on them. They don't give life. They only take it away. A while back, there was a time when some water had gotten into the gas tank that I used to fill my lawnmower. And not thinking that it would be a big deal at all, uh, not thinking that it, it needed pure gasoline to run on, I went ahead and just poured it in, thinking that everything would just be okay. But I realized quickly that this is a big deal. The impurity, the, the mixture of gas and water completely messed up my mower. It stopped it from working and it created this internal damage that I had to take it into the shop to get fixed. And as I was thinking this week about what purity really is and why it's something we should be passionate about seeking and protective about keeping, um, I, I, began, I began to see that we have some deep misunderstandings about purity. For one, we tend to think purity mainly has to do with very specific certain areas of our life, much more so than others. For another, we tend to think that purity mainly has to do with our actions, with the things that we do, with the things that we say. And for another, we, we tend to think that purity has mostly to do with saying no, what we give up, what we go without. So one small example of this is in the 90s, I remember in high school, some of the girls wore what they called purity rings, which was their way of saying, I'm going to make certain decisions to say no in a certain area of my life. And if I do it, I'll be pure. And if I don't, I won't be pure. But Jesus talks about purity very differently. Uh, for one, it's all areas of life. It's not just one segment. Jesus has a very robust and full view of purity. For another, purity in Jesus's mind 
mainly has to do with what is going on inside of us, in our hearts. It's not primarily about our actions, the things we say, the things we do. Jesus is always driving us back to see that the things that take place on the outside of us are always begun inside of us. And for another, it's, it's not as much about what we say no to. Uh, Jesus isn't just come to tell us all the things that we should deny or say no to. Uh, the purity that Jesus has in mind is just as much, if not more, about what we say yes to. And in trying to get to understand what he's really getting at, I was drawn back to these words. When Jesus was asked, point blank, what's the most important commandment in life? In other words, what matters above all else? What should our lives be consumed with and concerned about? And what what should we be passionate about? And his answer was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. Simple, but profound. And in these words, we get the perfect, holistic picture of the purity that Jesus himself is after. Not just parts of our lives, but all of our life. Not just our actions, but our hearts. Not just saying no, but saying yes. This is according to Jesus, the good life, the blessed life. And these words of Jesus should strike us as both incredibly encouraging and incredibly discouraging. The good news that is encouraging is that Jesus, God himself in the flesh, has come to show us the way of life because he loves us and wants us to enjoy the life he offers, to see God, to be in a right and flourishing relationship with him. That's the good news. He shows us the path. The bad news is that even on our best days, the kind of purity Jesus is talking about is so far from our reality. In the 1970s, Alexander Solzhenitsyn published his book, The Gulag Archipelago, which described life in the Soviet Union labor camps. And in his effort to show the injustice and even the criminality of these camps, he he comes to a place where he begins to see good and evil, pure and impure, is actually much more complicated than we might like to think. Listen to what he says. He says, Gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states nor between classes nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. When it comes to COVID responses, race relations, political position, school opening opinions, we are all drawn to drawing lines to help us separate good from bad. But as Solzhenitsyn reminds us, there is a dividing line, yes, but it's not about masks or reparations or online education. The dividing line of good and evil, of right and wrong, runs right 
through our own hearts as we are divided people, all mixtures, loving what is good and loving what is evil. So what does that mean for us as impure people, as divided people, as conflicted people, hearing the words of Jesus, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. I want you to think about what happens, because I think this is intentional on God's part and on Matthew's part as he is writing this gospel. I want you to think about what happens right after Jesus is finishing with this teaching time on the, on the mountain, this Sermon of the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew's gospel. After all this teaching on all kinds, on the kind of people that we are to be and how we are to live, when he is finished, the very first person he meets in chapter 8, right after this, is a leper. The very definition of unclean, of impure, an outcast, rejected by all. No one else will welcome him in. And what does Jesus do after, after talking about purity and who we are to be and the kind of life we are to live? Listen to these ver- words in, in verse 1 of chapter 8. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. In the face of disease, Jesus doesn't move away, but he moves towards. And he doesn't just speak, but he touches. And he doesn't just show sympathy, but he heals. He makes whole. He makes clean. Leprosy was a vivid picture of what happens and what is the reality in all of our hearts. For a leper, They had a disease that was eating away at their body, night and day, painful, isolating, hopeless, no cure in their own hands. Jesus came to heal lepers, but more than that, he came to heal a deeper disease. We have a disease that is eating away at our soul, like a cancer that takes what is good and turns it into something that's bad. We are lepers of heart and mind and soul. But in the face of our disease, Jesus, seeing us at our worst, seeing the places that no one else sees, he doesn't move on. He moves towards bringing his healing touch, making us whole. The good news that Jesus preached, that he came to give us, was not make yourself clean and pure and God will love you. Do your best to make yourself better, to clean yourself up, and then God will look at you with acceptance and welcome you in. But the good news is God loves you in all your sin, in all your impurity, in all your uncleanness, and he is making you clean. He is making you new. In the psalm that you just read together as a group, Psalm 24, it asks a question that we all need to ask. Who who can ascend the mountain of the Lord, who can stand in his holy place. That is God who is high and holy. Who who can be with him and who can be in his presence and who can see him and be in a right relationship with him? And the answer is the one who has clean hands 
and a pure heart. And the psalm ends with a call to lift up our heads and to see the coming king, the king of glory. And here's the good news that Jesus gives and brings and is that is meant to turn our lives upside down and turn our world upside down. The good news is that when we don't have clean hands, when we don't have pure hearts, when we cannot on our own climb the mountain, ascend to where God is and stand in his holy place, that the king of glory comes down to us first as a child and then as a man, speaking words of hope and doing the work of healing wherever he goes. And eventually this king is lifted up, not in glory, but in shame. He's going to be beaten and nailed to a cross, naked between two criminals, mocked, rejected. There's going to be a crown of thorns that is rammed on his head. And there is going to be a sign that is posted above him with these words, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Who is this King of glory? As the psalm says, the strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Uh, Open them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may came in. Who is this King of glory? It's Jesus who loves the impure and makes a way for us to see God at a cost that we will never fully understand with a love that is greater than anything we can imagine. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed is our King of glory who makes it our reality. I love you all. I miss you all. Keep looking to Jesus. Amen and amen.